Hi, I'm Steve Playford from Link Group, and I'm back again to take over today's podcast. In January, the Financial Reporting Council published the 2024 UK Corporate Governance Code. So what does this mean for companies and practitioners? This morning, we held a live event at our office in the heart of the City of London with Maureen Beresford from the FRC and Karen Waldron from Company Matters, Link Group, Company Secretarial and Governance Division. The event was an opportunity for COSEX and governance experts from across the industry to learn about the key changes to the UK Corporate Governance Code, discuss feedback and share ideas. Now that the session has finished, I've managed to persuade Maureen and Karen to jump into our studio to talk us through how it went. And I'll get them to take us through some of the changes coming into effect in 2024 and much more. I'm really looking forward to this one, so let's get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, thanks for joining us today, Maureen and Karen. Uh, we're obviously here to talk about the UK Corporate Governance Code uh, and the changes for 2024. But before we get into that, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your roles, Maureen? Thanks, Steve. It's great to be here. So, I'm Maureen Beresford. I'm uh, Acting Director of Corporate Governance and Stewardship at the FRC, Financial Reporting Council. And over the last year, maybe 18 months now, I've been responsible for the uh, consultation and ultimate new Corporate Governance Code 2024. Fantastic. Karen? Hi, I'm Karen Waldron, one of the Senior Managers at Company Matters. We're a team of about 50 COSECs, looking after corporate governance and company secretarial matters for a variety of clients. Fantastic. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for, for being with us. So we've just finished this uh, session with a live audience uh, here at Gresham Street um, about the changes to the, to the code. Um, how do you think it went? Maureen, you go first. I think it went well, but of course you'll have to ask the audience, won't you? It was great <laughs> to see so many people uh, attending. Um, I think the questions were really uh, excellent, showed a lot of insight and a lot of thought, and many people had actually read the code and read the guidance, and they found that useful. So that was great to hear from a, a well-educated group. Excellent. And Karen, how did your, your question and answer session go? Yeah, it was good. Um, I think people are really positive about the changes, they're wanting to embrace them and focus on the practicalities of, of what they need to do as COSACs to comply with the code yeah. going forward. I, I thought that as well. I thought it was very, very, very engaged. And uh, so, you know, the, the things that came out of um, the session today, uh, the key thing for me seemed to be around comply or explain. And it kept coming back, didn't it, all the way yeah. through. Um, now, obviously, uh, what did come out is the, the fact that... Um, that there's almost like too much too much comply at the moment mm. rather than uh, explain and and people were almost kind of nervous it seems uh, to do the explaining they'd rather go for the complying which kind of feels a bit counterintuitive because you'd imagine that if you could just explain yeah. something won't be better but that's not the case is it Maureen so what, what do you think about that it, it's not um I've been doing these talks for for about three or four years now through the uh, consultation of the code and we always talk about the importance of comply or explain you know we are unique uh, some, to some extent you know we've got a code that is principle based and it offers flexibility for companies but there still still seems to be this reticence to actually tell your story and that's the thing that we want to, companies to do we want to them to tell their story of what happened in the year when they're writing their reports and to kind of explain if they can't comply and and we've tried so hard to to say that a, an explanation is just as good as trying to comply. There is nothing worse than reading a report where a company has 
stated, they comply with everything, and then you get to a page down in the body of the report and you see that they've not actually complied with one of the provisions. And, and it makes you question the, how the whole report is written and whether there are other areas that they may not be as open and, and honest about. And I think what we might come on to talk about is outcomes and insights uh, to a company. And I think an explanation gives that, that it gives an insight into the governance of the company, and that's what we're trying to achieve with the changes to the code, which run through the whole um, proposals that we've made and, and final position that we've ended up with. Okay, great. And um, as, so from a, a company secretarial point of view, Karen, do you find that, that there's more of a tendency for for people to just want to comply or, or, or be seen to comply rather than take the time to explain as an alternative? Yes, definitely. I think that's the view really across the board that companies think they've literally got to have everything ticked off in that code or they've, they've somehow failed, which isn't the case. And um, since speaking to Maureen and going to one of Maureen's FRC events last year, I've been trying to put that out to you know my clients that you know this is not the case. It's okay to explain, but the, there's definitely a mindset that needs changing in that regard. As, as Maureen said, that companies need to see it's it's not a one size fits all. There's going to be points where companies it's not appropriate for them to comply, and that's fine. And like Maureen said, it, it's showcasing their uniqueness. They're all different, and it's just explaining that. Exactly. I, I, I think it's a good explanation gives so much more information on the company. It's really important to, to use that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Great. And um, so, so obviously, as I say, Comply Explain came up right the way through. We'll probably come up again in a minute. But, uh, but a couple of, couple of um, the key provisions that we talked about yep. today. Um, uh, provision 23 on, on diversity. What, what are the changes there, uh, Maureen? So, you know, Diversity is a really crowded space, isn't it? There are lots of people are setting targets, are asking for companies to report in great detail on, on diversity, particularly in terms of gender and ethnicity. Um, and we've got provision in the code already on diversity, but we took a long, hard look at that and thought, well, what do we really want to do that others, others are not asking for? We don't want to set targets because there are plenty of those out there. But we know there's some excellent things going on in companies in terms of the initiatives that they're following, um, their own work on diversity outside of you know uh, the two areas that I mentioned. So we've changed that provision slightly to talk about diversity, inclusion and equal opportunities. And we're asking companies to give more information on those um, initiatives as a kind of what does that mean to your company? So if you've signed up to an initiative, just tell us a little bit more about it. Tell us what that, uh, the outcome is. Tell us how that initiative is helping the pipeline for your company, how it's bringing on talent in the company, and ultimately maybe uh, preparing people from different backgrounds uh, to sit on boards and, com and committees in the future. And I know there's great work going out there. It's always on LinkedIn. We talked about that yeah, this morning. Indeed. But sometimes it doesn't, actually make the cut of the annual report and I think we've got good governance here and the more that we share that the more information that we'll get and the better approach to diversity across the piece we'll get. So let's move on to uh, provision 29 because that really is seemingly the big one um, yeah. and uh, I think well first of all I think well, let's, let's talk about the good news that 80% of companies are already reporting effectively against uh, uh, certainly the current code yeah. uh, when it comes to provision 29. 
So a couple of questions really, Maureen, is uh, why, why is this seemingly the most important change? Yeah, so just to remind everybody listening that Provision 29 is about risk and internal controls uh, and the, the biggest change that we've made there is asking for the board to declare whether their material controls are, are effective at the balance sheet day. And I think, I think it's because there's a declaration associated with this change that it's attracted the most interest and the board have to be... Um, accountable and to oversee uh, the risk and, and internal controls framework. Now, the current code, as you mentioned, Steve, um, already asks companies to have a, uh, a framework for internal controls and risk management, and it already asks companies to, to report on and how that is, whether that is effective. So we're just going a further step. The current code also asks companies to report, uh, to think about, excuse me, think about material controls. And material controls in the current code are beyond financial controls. Um, we don't explicitly say that, but they are. We talk operation, about operational controls, for example. Um, and I think there might be a little bit of misunderstanding that the current code is only about financial, but it is already in there, material controls beyond financial. Um, but I want to reiterate, the declaration is only about the material controls that the board have identified of having spoken with and worked with their uh, team around them. That would be their first, second, third lines of defence, their internal audit, um, their committees, etc. And the material controls should only be a handful, no more than 10, I would suggest. They're the real controls that are going to really impact your business if they fail. So we're not expecting companies to declare, to declare over a hundred different controls it's really those important ones so that's a really important message so this has come up before maureen mm -hmm. and uh and i remember this from last time that you are your your um catchphrase is it's not socks yes <laughs> <laughs> which i wasn't quite sure what you meant when you first said it but uh but, but basically you're, you're referring of course to um sarbanes-oxley yeah that's so right. um, can you explain why it's not socks? Yeah, what are the, what are the, yeah. I think the when we first consulted, there was a lot of noise around this saying, you're introducing US socks, you're introducing socks light, it's socks by the back, back door. So we've done a little bit of work and, and we're trying to kind of make it clear that this is not socks. So, you know, we've got, we've got an infographic on our website if people want to look at it, but I'll just kind of run through that now. So just to remember that socks is a strict legal requirement enforced by the SEC. Whereas our approach is within a code, it's principles based, and there is comply or explain that we've already talked about. And so your reporting should be tailored to your, tailored to your individual company. Um, and it's the board of a, as a whole who are responsible for the, that declaration. It's not just the CEO, it's the CFO. That's important because the US at the UK has got a unitary board system and we think it's important for the board as a whole to have that oversight of that system of risk and internal controls. Um, there's no requirement for the attestation uh, to be uh, assessed by your uh, your auditor, uh, the accounting firm in the UK, um, and we do not enforce. You know, we ask companies to write their report in the annual report against the code. Um, we may look at that as part of our annual review process, but we are not going to start writing to companies and saying you've picked the wrong material controls, for example. How would we know that? You know, mm -hmm. A material control will be very much what the company thinks it is based on your business, uh, business model, your risk appetite, the sector that you're in, etc. So you can look at our guidance to give you some ideas on that, but it really is for the board to kind of review that. 
Um, and just for additional areas where we're not the same as socks, um, the scope is different. Socks is financial only. And as I already mentioned on this podcast, we go further than financial. And I think that's important because so many issues are now linked together. So you might have uh, environmental, social issues that really do impact on financial issues as well. So I don't think it's really imp- that easy to split them about apart either. And just finally, we don't require any attestation from an external auditor. And crucially, we don't expect companies to go out and get their uh, controls assessed by the auditor unless there's good reason for that. You've made that decision as a board based on your risk appetite. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And um, so you touched again on Complier Explain. It keeps keeps coming back. And uh, one of the questions that I I quite enjoyed uh, hearing, and and also not just the question, but I liked the answer as well, is uh, this idea of long-term non-compliance, you know? So what if you just keep saying, um, we'll just keep explaining it away? Is there there a time limit? Is there a a point where you can't explain it away anymore? Yeah. So if we just take a step back, the aim of the code is to uh, promote good governance across UK companies. I think that's really important to stress that. And what the code sets out are a set of principles and provisions that we think achieve that. But as, as we've mentioned and Karen's mentioned, every company is very different. And a good example might be that you've got a founder on your board. The code says that the, uh, the, the board members should be executives and independent non-execs. Well, a founder's unlikely to be independent because they've probably been there for quite a long time. Um, there's a good reason why he's there and the rest of the shareholders are absolutely fine with that person being there. That is great that you want to report that. You should report that as a non-compliance, but explain why your governance is appropriate for that situation. So you've got other non-execs that can challenge that founder. You've got systems in place that that achieve good governance. Um, So continually saying you don't comply with that aspect of the code it's fine. It's all about writing your explanation and demonstrating good, good, strong governance. So it's not a problem if it's long term. Our guidance does say if you write an explanation, tell us when you expect to be back complying. But sometimes that's just not possible. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to try and break this um, this view that we talked about earlier that it's you've got to comply, you've got to comply. It's not that you've got to demonstrate good governance. And I think that's sometimes lost. And I think a COSEC is really important in getting that message across mm. and somewhat pivotal to, to the changes in the code and to demonstrate, to bringing the company together and demonstrating that good governance by saying if compliance is not effective and not the right thing, write that explanation. Great. And Carol, have you, have you come across examples of where this has happened, you know, where uh, you know, there's a tendency to sort of just keep keep explaining things away, or is it something that that you think you know from a cosec point of view? Do you think that's something that um, that might be an issue? I think as we touched on earlier, companies aren't comfortable mm-hmm. with the non-compliance, but certainly I've come across the, the issue as uh, Maureen has said, where it's appropriate for directors to stay on longer if you're in a a long time a long term circular business. You want that long mm-hmm. corporate memory. Yep. You need people of all 10 years, really, on the board. Mm. Nine years might sound like a long time, but it, it goes around pretty quick. Yep. And sometimes it is appropriate if there's a skills gap on the board to keep somebody on mm. longer. Yeah. And I think we're seeing more and more companies beginning to explain, particularly in the area that Karen just mentioned, you know, 
tenure on the board, but also in areas around uh, al alignment of pension contributions. Um, sometimes we get uh, companies explaining against uh, some of the REM remuneration provisions, etc. So companies are starting to do that, and I think as soon as you know we get more and more so groundswell, then that will enable us to feel more confident about it. Great. Excellent. And uh, yeah, and obviously it feels like it, like any business, uh, it's quite good to have a, a long tenure because you, you keep that sort of tacit knowledge in the company and uh, and stop making mistakes or don't repeat mistakes that, yeah. that have happened before. So it does. It's about kind of effective challenge, isn't it, yeah. as well? It's about ensuring that, that if there is someone on the board that's been there for a while, that you've got other people around that table that can bring different skills and experience and challenge what might be the status quo that's been there for 9, 10, 12 years, but actually dig deep and say, is this really the right thing to do? Yep. That's what we want to see on the board. Fantastic. Um, so for the for our listeners today, um, who I'm sure are uh, champing at the bit for, on this question, <laughs> is timelines. Yep. So what are the key dates? Uh, yep. When does this come into effect? When, when do they need to start thinking about it? Yep. So if you're a premium listing company, you will be following uh, the UK Corporate Governance Code, the 2018 code, and that is currently still in place. The new code, the 2024 code, uh, comes into play for accounting years beginning 1 January 2025, which means your reporting will not start until the following year, uh, other than provision 29, when there's a, a year delay for that. So that is accounting years beginning 1 January 2026. Um, we have, we're not suggesting that anybody adopts early. Uh, that would be purely a decision for the company. Um, in fact, we probably, we've probably heard some kind of murmurings that for provision 29, companies might do a, a, some kind of dry run. Uh, so they'll put all the, the, everything in place, maybe do some kind of reporting against it, but perhaps not the declaration. I just want to reiterate, we are not expecting or suggesting that anybody should adopt early if they're not comfortable and not ready to do that. Do you think, Karen, from a from a COSEC point of view, that, that there may be a, a, a you know, desire or a, a will to, to adopt early? I think you might get some some companies that want to kind of test it out, as, as Maureen said, and, and, and put bits in the annual report, um, start so it's not such a big job when they when they come to report against the code. Uh, I think the important thing is to start planning now so that when the financial year starts, you're starting off the year with a plan of how you're going to comply with this code and not leaving it uh, until you come to do the annual report at the end of the year. So that means planning out your agendas for your boards and your committee, making sure you have the code provisions covered within them. Yeah, I think that came up in our discussion, didn't it, earlier it this morning. It's, you know, don't leave anything. Don't think about the reporting. Think about the way that you've got things uh, organised within the company, particularly in risk management and internal controls, because if you leave it and think about the reporting, you won't get the systems in place. Get the right systems in place for everything, and then the reporting should be relatively straightforward at the end. Yeah, I think it's about looking looking at your, what your gaps are yeah. and how you're going to uh, fill them, how you're going to address any gaps and um, what plans you're putting in place at the beginning of the year. And, and getting your board comfortable with that, because... If we go back to provision 29, there is that declaration. Mm. So they will want to know early on what they need to do and what oversight they need to, to have. There's no point in telling them 
come November, if you're on a, uh, a year that ends in sort of December, that they need to identify the material controls. You should have done that way back in January or even before then <laughs> so that you yeah. can work through it at the end of the year. Okay, fantastic. So finally, but by my last question is, of course, how can people find out more uh, about the changes to the UK Corporate Governance Code uh, and potentially get involved in the conversation? Yeah, so um, we're doing a number of events and thanks to Link uh, for doing this one this morning. We're in Leeds, I think, in a week's time. Um, uh, We've also got information on our website, the FRC website. We've got um, the guidance to the code. You can link through from the 2024 code to the guidance, so that will help. Um, We've got some uh, frequently asked questions on our website. Um, and we've got some other material that kind of shows the differences between uh, Sarbanes-Oxley, as I talked about, and the new Provision 29. So there's quite a lot of material there. If you're really stuck, you can write into the FRC and we will uh, provide a FAQ to answer your question. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And we will obviously, from a link point of view, be uh, pushing this out on all of our socials. So uh, do follow us on Brilliant. LinkedIn uh, and, uh, of course, uh, other social media sites. And that's a wrap. A huge thank you to Maureen and Karen for taking the time to talk to us this week. If you'd like to find out more about the FRC and the changes to the UK Corporate Governance Code, you can go to their website at frc.org.uk, where you can access a range of information. The site also has links to their social media channels, so make sure that you give them a follow too. And if you'd like to learn more about how our experts at Company Matters can support you, you can find out more and get in touch at www.companymatters.co.uk. And finally, today's event wouldn't have been possible without the AHEAD programme for corporate governance professionals. AHEAD is a regular series of free in-person events. So if you'd like to find out more and possibly get involved, I'll leave a link in the description above on how you can do that. I'll also leave some links so that you can connect with Maureen and the team at FRC, as well as our experts at Company Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. If you found this episode useful, make sure you hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. All the best.